Thank you for tuning in today. I pray that today's message will empower you to use your voice, help change the way you think, and refresh your spirit. If you'd like to follow along with Pastor's Notes, you can find them on our app. We celebrate Jesus' resurrection today by taking a closer look at what it represented here on earth and for those who have gone before us. Let's get right into From the Cross to the Throne. I want to bring a message entitled From the Cross to the Throne. Uh, We all know Jesus went to the cross. We all know that he died on the cross. Romans chapter 4 in verse 25 says this, who was delivered up because of our offenses. Um, some people say, well, the Jews, they're, they're responsible. No, they're not. Somebody says, the Romans, they're responsible. No, they're not. You're responsible, and I'm responsible. It was our offenses. And he was raised because of our justification. Now, justification means to be made just as if you'd never done it. So Jesus was raised for your justification. In fact, the fact that Jesus was raised proves that our redemption is complete because it was complete when he was raised up. That's when it was complete. Now, what Jesus did, listen, changed everything. Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension changed everything. Now, the Bible says it this way, in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 19. For God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, no longer counting or holding men's sins against them, but blotting them out. Now, if you look at a Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament, or an old way of God dealing with people and a new way of God dealing with people. How many of you have read the Old Testament and saw some stuff in there and you went, woo? All right. You see, God was holding men's sins against them because men's sins had not been paid for. But when Jesus came, he paid for your sin. He paid for my sin. And literally, he took our hand and put it in God's hand. So God is no longer doing the stuff he did in the Old Testament. He is not holding men's sins against them. Jesus changed everything. So the Bible says in Hebrews 10, verse 9, he takes away the first that he may establish the second. The first is the old covenant. He took it. It is gone. And now there is a new covenant. There is a, God is dealing with mankind in a totally different way. The Old Testament is gone. The New Testament is is in. In fact, Romans 10 and verse 4 says it this way, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law. All that Old Testament, Jesus is the end. It's the end of it. So when we look today, we need to look at Jesus. I I like to say it this way, Jesus is perfect theology. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. You want to know how God is treating humanity today? Look at Jesus, because Jesus took sin out of the way. In the Old Testament, it says that your sins and your iniquities, they have separated you from God. But that is not true anymore because of what Jesus did. God was working in Christ. 
the Bible says. But he, he wasn't working on Christ. He was working on you. He was working to get you and I a relationship with God. So what Jesus did at the cross, he did not go to the cross by accident. This was God's plan. In fact, Jesus said, I could pray and God would send 12 legions of angels to deliver me. That's 72,000 angels. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He went to the cross on purpose. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. It was not forced. It wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't an accident. This was God's plan. In fact, a thousand years before Jesus went to the cross, a little shepherd by the name of David wrote a psalm, Psalms 22. And uh, actually what many Bible scholars believe that on the cross, that Jesus quoted this whole psalm. But I'm just going to read to you a few parts of it. And uh, they believe that Jesus just said some of it out loud where it could be heard. But the psalm begins in verse 1 and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How many remember that? 14th verse, all of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. And then uh, I want I put in the 12th verse because it's going to be important later. He says, many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Basham have encircled me. And it's literally referring to Satan and demon power. Verse 16, they have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Exactly what happened on the cross. In the last verse, it is done. It is finished. I remember Jesus, the last words, it is finished. It's done. What's finished? The law, the Old Testament sacrifices, they were finished when Jesus gave his life, shed his blood on the cross for you and for me. I was brought up in a church where every Sunday we repeated the Apostles' Creed. Anybody else? Wait a few. Now, there's, there's a line in there I, I wanted to, to mention. I remember that line that says, he descended into, he descended into hell. Acts 2, 24. Whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains, the torments of death. When Jesus died, he went to a place of torment. Now, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Now, it's physical death, but it's a second death. It's a separation from God. You see, I, I really believe this. We do not know how bad sin is. We don't know how holy God is. Nor do we really understand the price that God paid to pay for your sin and my sin so that we could have a right relationship with God. So what Jesus literally did uh, in Luke, the 19th chapter, is he tore back the veil of death. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody who was dead for any period of time and came back to life. And the, the great mystery, what happens when you die? Well, Jesus talks about what happens when you die. And he tells it in a story. 
And he says in, in Luke 16, verse 19, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed from the crumbs which came, fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. But being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his bosom or his side. And he cried out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in torment in this flame. But Abraham's son said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted and you're tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. The Bible says that Lazarus died. Uh, without a doubt, they take his body, they put it in a pulper's tomb. But it says that the angels carried him. See, if Jesus tarries, every one of us here someday, your body's going to wear out. Your body's going to die. And when your body dies, the real you that lives on the inside is going to step out. Angels are going to be right there. And faster than the speed of light, you're going to be carried to one of two places. Lazarus was at Abraham's side. And the Bible refers to that place as Abraham's bosom because they had a place next to Abraham. It's also called paradise, and it's called captivity. But there was another place, another compartment. Now, by the way, Jesus made this statement. He said, like Jonah was in the, 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 the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man will be three days in the heart of the earth. These two compartments... I believe, are physically in the heart of the earth. The one where the righteous go. Oh, look at that. There it is. Abraham's bosom, paradise, captivity, the righteous dead. Now you say, why couldn't they go to heaven? Because today, to be a believer dies, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But that wasn't true in the old covenant because their sins hadn't been paid for. And with God had, how can I say, God had him on layaway. Now, most of you don't even know what layaway is. <laughs> Let me tell you. I, I was four or five years old, and my parents, so, so we're talking 65 years ago, okay? My parents took me to Robert Hall. Anybody here remember Robert Hall? You're old. You're just, you're just old, all right? And it was down on 28th Street, not very far from Division, and, and it was like a a, a store where you'd go to buy nice dresses and, and, and a suit. So I'm four or five years old, and they take me there to get my first suit. I remember very, very, they, they, they found it, we tried it on, it fit, and my parents put down half of the money. We didn't have enough to pay for all of it. So we put half down, and they kept it. See, this is before credit cards. We went back the next week, and we put some more down. And then we went back later and paid for all of it, and we took it home. Okay, they called that layaway. Because you hadn't paid, you couldn't take it home. 
Now, that's what God did. He had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Lazarus, all of the righteous dead. He had them in a compartment on layaway. Jesus hadn't paid for them yet. But you're going to see in a few moments that when Jesus paid for them, Jesus took them to heaven. Now, the unrighteous dead are in this compartment that is called Hades. Now, Hades is not hell, but it's like hell. Now, the difference, it's a place of torment, but the difference between Hades and hell is like the difference between the county jail and the state penitentiary. When you are arrested, you're brought to the county jail. They charge you. You go before the judge. If you're found guilty, then you go to the penitentiary. Now, there's people that they're not right with God. They're guilty. They have to pay for their own sin because they haven't taken and received the forgiveness that Jesus offered them saying, I will, I pay for your sin, but they haven't received it. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20 that all these people that are in that place called Hades are going to stand before God and they're going to be judged. And afterwards, they go to the place that we call hell, to that place of torment and separation from God. But they haven't stood before the judge yet. So when Jesus died, the Bible says that he went and God loosed him from the pangs or the torments of death. The torments of death were only in Hades. The torments of death were not in that place called paradise or Abraham's bosom. It was only in that place of torment, that place called Hades. Jesus, that's where he went. The unrighteous were there. And the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 19, by whom also he, Jesus, went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. So Jesus went to the place where the disobedient spirits, those that did not believe Noah as he was preaching. Noah's making that ark for a 100 years. And the Bible says he's a preacher of righteousness. He's telling people, you need to repent. You need to get right with God. They didn't believe him. They just kept on going in their wickedness. And when Jesus died, he went to that place called Hades. And one of the things that he did there was he proclaimed. And he said, it was promised that a deliverer was coming. The seed of the woman, the one who would defeat sin, death, and the devil. It was promised that he would come, and I have come, and I have conquered death, sin, and the grave. In fact, when Jesus arose from the dead, this is what he said. I am he who lives. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of Hades and of death. Now, here's literally what happened. God had said in Genesis 3, chapter 15, that the seed of the woman would crush Satan's head. You see, when Jesus was down there in that place called Hades, at some point, Jesus grabbed hold of the devil and threw him on the ground, picked up his foot and crushed his head, reached down and took the keys, the keys of death and the keys of Hades. And when he arose, he said, I've got the victory. I am the victor. 
I have the keys of death and of Hades. Do you understand the devil no longer even has the keys to his own house? Jesus stripped him of his authority. Jesus stripped him of his power. In fact, the Bible says this, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, having taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So if you and I had been there and seen Jesus on the cross, above his head was a parchment in three languages that said, Jesus, the King of the Jews. And as far as Rome was concerned, Jesus was crucified because he was the King of the Jews. And that was nailed to his cross. But the Bible says God nailed something to his cross. God nailed the handwriting of requirements that was against us. You say, what is that? Well, Moses went up on Mount Sinai for 40 days. And the Bible says that God wrote with his own finger the commandments and the requirements. But I wanted to ask. Is there anybody here who's broken any of those commandments? Yeah, me too. They were against you. That was what separated you from God. Your violation of those commandments. But God nailed that to the cross. And he said, that's why Jesus is dying. He's dying for every sin that any person will ever commit. Every requirement, he's dying and he is paying the price. God nailed it to the cross and literally took it out of the way because Jesus paid in full. Having disarmed principalities and powers. You see, the the Bible says this, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But every violation of law, a spiritual law, was put on that cross And when Jesus paid for it, he disarmed the devil. And the Bible says that he disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Now, if you were a first century person living in the Roman Empire, when you read that, there was a picture that came through your mind. It says he triumphed. Now, in the first century, a Roman triumph was a victory that a Roman general could have. It had to be awarded him by the Senate. And if, well, here's what it took to have a triumph. First of all, the commander of the army, the general, had to be present on the field. At least 5,000 of the enemy had to be killed. The enemy ruler or king had to be captured or killed. There could be no possibility of a counterattack. And there had to be new land conquered, not just taking over something that had been lost. There were actually seven criteria for a triumph. And if all seven were were, were found to be true, then the Senate would award that general a triumph. They would bring the general back with his army. They would parade them through the streets of Rome. And the defeated enemies would be paraded naked, in chains. They would be paraded through the streets. Now, the Bible says that what Jesus did was he triumphed over them. He made a public spectacle of Satan and demon power. You say, what does that mean? That means Jesus walked 
the devil and demon power naked of all authority, all dominion, right through downtown eternity. And he showed them to be defeated foe that could no longer come back and reconquer land. He said, I am the victor over death, over sin, and over the grave, and over the devil. And he no longer can have dominion. He stripped him of his authority. Well, when Jesus arose from the dead, I want to talk about a couple things that happened. He stopped off in the garden, by the way, and Mary was there, and she recognized him and says, Rabboni, and he reaches out and she touches him. And he said, do not touch me. Don't cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to my father and your father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So Jesus has some business to take care of in heaven. And then he's going to come back and spend 40 days with the disciples, talking to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Hebrews 9.11 says this, but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater, the more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is of this creation. So when Moses goes up on the mountain, God tells him, you make a tabernacle, but you make it exactly the way that I tell you. Because it's a copy of a tabernacle that God has in heaven. Not of this creation. It's heavenly. Twelfth verse. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained an eternal redemption. So Jesus took his blood to heaven. And he put it on the mercy seat that is in heaven. The 23rd verse says, therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So the copies, the priest would go in with the blood of goats and calves and would sprinkle that blood. But the heavenly God's tabernacle in heaven had to be purified. You say, why? Because man's sin had ramifications all the way in heaven. And Jesus took his blood into heaven. And he put his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. But the heavenly things themselves are better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. He took his blood and he put his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. Hebrews 12 says it this way, but you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. When Cain killed Abel, God said this, his blood is crying out to me from the ground. And what did his blood cry out? Vengeance, justice, give me justice. But Jesus' blood is in heaven on the mercy seat. Now, understand this. 24-7, 
365, God is in the presence of Jesus' blood. And that blood is speaking 24-7. That blood is speaking better things than Abel's blood. Abel's blood says vengeance and justice. But Jesus' blood says mercy, forgiveness, blessing, redemption, wholeness. Jesus' blood is in God's presence right now speaking on your behalf. So Romans 3.25 said, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, a sacrifice through faith in his blood. It is Jesus' blood that redeemed you and redeemed me. Now, when Jesus arose from the dead, can we get our, our picture back up there? All right. Now, Jesus crosses from here. He proclaimed to them the Messiah was going to come, and he has come. Now, it wasn't that Jesus said, now you have a second chance. He just proclaimed to them what God had said was going to happen. But he crosses over, and he goes to this place called Abraham's bosom, captivity, and paradise. Ephesians 4.8 says, when he ascended on high, when he arose from the dead, he led captivity captive. That place where the righteous dead were, Jesus emptied it out. One translation says this, that when he ascended on high, he had a train of captives with him. Jesus didn't just go up alone. He emptied that place out. So to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, he ascended, what does it mean, the Bible says, but that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. And he who descended is also the one who ascended above all things that he might fill all things. So Jesus is going up, but he takes every one of those people who've been on layaway, who God said, I'm going to pay for them. But once he paid the price, Jesus took them with him. He took that whole train of captives. And Psalms 24 says it this way, Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory will come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong, mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. He just defeated Satan, sin, death, hell, the devil. He is mighty in battle. They cry back, who is? Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, ye everlasting doors. The King of glory will come in. And they shout back, who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. He arose victorious. He paid the price. Sin no longer separates man from God. The way God used to deal with people, everything changed with Jesus. Everything. The Bible says you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. You were bought with a price. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15, says that he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. He died for you, he died for me. And the Bible says, what's the result? We shouldn't be living for ourselves. 
but we should live for the one who died for us and rose again. The one who paid the price for your sin and my sin. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says this, for it was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. Jesus, the perfect person, he was the perfect sinless sacrifice. And he did it to perfect some very imperfect people. How many of you would with me say, I qualify as imperfect people? And by that single offering, the next verse, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. How much did Jesus do? Everything. Everything. You know, so often what we think is this, well, well if, if I could just get this right, then I could come to God. You know, and, and, if, and if I could get free from this, if I could just get victory over this, I, I'd be right and I'd be ready to come to God. Listen to me. God cleans his own fish. So you don't come to God and say, God, look how good I am. No, 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 no. You come as you are. You come as you are. Because Jesus paid the price for your sin and to set you free. Not that. He didn't just pay for your sin. He paid for your sin, but he also paid to set you free. So Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, he can do what you can't do. He can do what willpower cannot do. He can do what nothing else can do. No sacrifice that you can make. He did everything that was necessary for everyone. You know, the Bible is God's word. It is God speaking to us. And we often say the Bible has the answers to all of life's questions. And it does have all the answers. But the Bible also has the greatest questions. Let me just give you a few of them. For example, the Bible asks this question, what is your life? Now, if I were to ask some people, what's your life? Somebody would say, well, my life's happy. Somebody else would say, my life's a wreck. Somebody would say, my life's my family. Somebody would say, well, my life is my job. Somebody might say, my life's going nowhere. But the Bible answers the question and says, your life is but a vapor that's here for a moment and it's gone. Uh, we live in the North Country and in the winter, you go outside and you breathe and you can see your breath. It's a vapor. And in two, three seconds, it's gone. The Bible says in light of eternity, the time that you're going to spend here on this earth in this physical body that you're living in, it's just like a few seconds. It's just a vapor and it's gone. The next question the Bible asks is this, what will the end be? What will the end be? Now, the, by the way, it is multiple choice, but there's only two choices. The end, when your body wears out and dies, you're either going to spend an eternity with God. We refer to that as heaven. Or you're going to spend an eternity separated from God, which is referred to as hell. There are no other options. And then in the book of Acts, there's a man who's been a jailer. And he comes to the apostle Paul. And this is his question. What must I do to be saved? What must I do? You see, there is something you need to do, and it's receive what God has done for you.
Jesus went to the cross, shed his blood and paid for your sin. He died and rose again, victorious over death. And if you need forgiveness, and everyone does, Jesus is the only Savior. He paid for your sin. And the Bible says, to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. Now, I want to pray with you to receive Jesus. If you don't know where you stand with God, you're away from God, I'm, gonna, I am, I'm begging you, pray this prayer from your heart and give Jesus your heart and life and receive him as your king and your Savior. So I want you to make these words your own. Pray this prayer out loud. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I, I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I receive Jesus as my king and my Lord. And I'm going to live for him. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer. I'm forgiven. My past is gone. I'm a part of your kingdom in your family today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, we have written a book especially to help you keep on growing in your spiritual life. I want to get it to you absolutely free. All the information is right there on your screen. And thank you so much for being with us today. God bless. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, you are making one of the best decisions of your life. We are so excited for you. And just as Pastor said, we'd love to send you a free copy of his book, Your New Life. Log on to walkingbyfaith.tv and have a copy mailed to you. Download it instantly or check out our new audiobook. You can also find all these things on our app. This book is absolutely free and a great resource for you to have. Walking by Faith is changing lives on and off the air with the help of viewers like you. When you choose to sow into God's kingdom, He will pour out His blessings upon you, just like it says in Malachi 3.10. If you'd like to become a partner with us, we have three easy ways that you can give. One, text WBFGIVE to 1-888-364-GIVE. Two, visit walkingbyfaith.tv slash give. Or three, click on the giving icon in our app. We would love to connect with you. When you scan this QR code, you can download our app, send a prayer request, check out our weekly devotional, and most importantly, stay connected. I pray you have an amazing week. Be blessed.